So yeah, I, I felt challenged by God to share um, part of my story today as well. I usually start straight to the Bible. What does God say? Um, but I, I feel that He was, you know, He wants to know us to share our stories and to see where where was God in that and how His hand has He changed our lives. So I'm going to start right at the beginning. Um, when I was born in <laughs> um, in London, and in the winter in December. And there was an electricity strike, so the whole of London was black. Yes, I was born just after midnight, it was freezing, and I was born by torchlight. And they said they went to the hospitals off, but the whole of London was out. I was born by torchlight, and I was in a hot water bottle in my incubator. Um, and that's how I came into the world. And my parents were um, born in the late 30s, so they were war children, they were small children in the war, and in London still. And um, they went through a lot of trauma, so they got bombed. My mum stuck out of the bubble when she was a baby, and my dad lost his mum to so my TV, which she caught from drinking milk. <laughs> Back in those days, there was a lot of trauma, and there was a lot of separation from parents, evacuation, and injury, and, and, and their parents were um, European internationals who came to live in London, they came from Ireland, Germany, Italy, um, Spain, France, Iceland, um, Russia. <laughs> so I'm a mix, I'm a mixed um, bunch and, and I really admire my ancestors and because they were pioneers and they came as individuals on a ship without a phone, without a debit card and to start a new life and it was it was hard for them and it's, it's affected me um, it still affects me today and as I was getting I got dressed again this evening and so I said oh you've changed this way I'm like well, yes it's my preaching shirt <laughs> and um, I realised you know as you work through things with God you're like why do I do that why do I like that why am I angry why am I wearing a green shirt and I wore a red dress this morning um, and I realised that, that you know my family because it wasn't fashionable to be Irish in London in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it wasn't fashionable to have a German accent during the first and second world wars. <clears throat> and so in my family, they had to adapt, and they had to learn what to wear, and they had to learn what to wear in London for different occasions. It really mattered in those days what you wore and how, what, how you spoke. And so I realised that when I get up in the morning and I have breakfast in my pyjamas, and I get the job, I've got my jogging clothes, and then I walk the dog, I've got my dog walking clothes, then I'll eat my friends' coffee, so I've got my coffee clothes, and then I'm going to the house, I've got my house clean clothes, and I can get through a lot of clothes in one day. Um, but I am obviously digressing. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but there's a real pioneering spirit in my family, and I'm grateful to them for that. And it's really interesting the families God's born us into. And I haven't always appreciated my family, as I think a lot of us haven't. Um, I love them to bits, but yeah, they were war, traumatized children, and trying to fit into new cultures. And growing up, I don't remember being hugged, and I certainly wasn't told that I love you, and that's probably quite normal for maybe some of the people who were born in the 70s. And so I kind of learned that from my children. I remember them having them on the change back then. I love you. Of course, I love them, but I wanted to be able to say it, and, and I learned physical touch, and I learned to hug them, and I've learned now since then that's my love language, and I love to hug people, and it's really normal now. But I have to teach myself and get friends, and please help me. I don't have to do it, and um, it'll all become clear why I'm sharing all of this. 
So yeah, so when I was six, my family, again, the 70s, we, um, they're probably called Hippies now, but I didn't realise that at the time. And we lived in Kenton Harrow, and they'd done quite well from their original um, international upbringing. And my dad had a job with Jaeger, and we lived in a nice little semi-detached, and we had chickens in the back garden, and we had bees in the back garden, and that wasn't normal in Harrow. And so we moved to a little small holding in West Wales. You either went to Morocco or to Pembrokeshire back in the 70s to live your hippie self-sufficient lifestyle. It was the Cold War. And they, again, still this pioneering firm. They wanted to get away from urban life, from earning money and living in your semi. And they wanted to get muddy hands and live off the soil. So I um, start to get near the work subject now. I grew up working really hard as a kid. So I had a pen knife in my pocket and I had gnarly hands and I milked cows and milked goats and made butter and cheese and made bread, apart from going to school. And we didn't have central heating, so I used to have to go down to the woods with a fertilizer sack and fill it up with logs and carry it on my back. And I worked with a can of flat back and carry more. You'd have to go down so many times. Um, and then my dad drilled holes, my bedroom was above the log fire, so he drilled holes in the ceiling and the heat came up and heated the bedroom. And my parents' bedroom was above the coal fire, the Rayburn, and so they drilled holes and the heat went up. And the Rayburn heated the water and you could cook on that as well. Um, so then I went, um, yeah, is it just moving from London to a Welsh um, milking community? where everyone had been born there for generations. It was a little bit of a surprise to the Welsh. Bless them. I love Welsh. I've got a lot of Welsh friends and they gave me Welsh pastors to fully heal me. Um, but they didn't always appreciate English. And it was common to hear go back to England. Um, so when I was Asian, I went to back to England as fast as I could um, and studied occupational therapy in Exeter. Um, but even though my mum had taught me how to pronounce things properly because that was very important with Irish German parents, um, I still had a Welsh time. And um, I was told I was Welsh. So I was like, no, no, I'm English. I've come back to England because I'm English. No, no, you're Welsh. Go back to Wales. Like, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I got my first job in Sheffield. And they're like, oh, you're a Southerner. I'm not a Southerner, I'm Welsh. <laughs> but I was Welsh. Um, and so what my, my first job was I was an occupational therapist and I worked in trauma and I mutated through the trauma things. And I started off with elderly care. I loved it. I loved talking to elderly people. Um, I loved hearing the stories and the history. And then I worked in spine injuries and burns and plastic surgery and head injuries. And I loved the drama. And then I realized, again, related back to my ancestors, who, the pioneers, I loved pioneering stuff and I loved having to create stuff and problem solve and... Um, like if someone had a spine injury, I had to get them a wheelchair, I had to get them a car and get that adapted, I had to get an architect and get the house adapted. It was really exciting stuff. And we say, what do you do when I do this exciting stuff? And I'm like, wow, that's amazing, so cool. And I began to realise that people treat you according to how they think you are, according to what you do. And this is the culture we live in. The first question is, what do you do? Oh, I'm not creation purpose. Wow, that's really exciting. What do you do? Oh, well, most people never heard that. So you have to explain how I'm working with spine injuries and plastic surgery. Oh, wow, how does that work? And then, um, joined YMAN, 
Again, the pioneering international thing started to come in again, and a bit of a machine. Met the lovely Phil. Okay, there we are. <laughs> in our early 20s, and we got married. And I went to an inner city building in Pakistan, because we were then going to work in Pakistan. I wasn't looking at the photos actually. Can we go back to the one before? So this was me at school. Um, I'm one with the mouse socks. <laughs> uh, everyone else, and you see, not only have they got the red socks, but they're exactly the same shade of red. And if you wore slightly the wrong shade of red, not only would you end up in your headmaster's study, but your mother or father would end up in the headmaster's study as well, asking why they bought you the wrong shade of red socks. So I thought, boy, did it cause a commotion. You cannot believe the trouble I was in for doing that. Um, and I say that. Because um, there was something in me that, um, you know, the Bible says, what does God require of you? And sorry, my eye is jumping around, it's the first slide of the writing. And he asked you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I wasn't saved at this stage, I was very, very angry with the world. I was very rebellious. Um, I had a real issue with my identity, I didn't know who I was, I didn't know where I belonged, I didn't know where I fitted, but I had this massive passion, and I know now as a Christian that, you know, we have a passion for righteousness, it matters, it matters if, if, if unjust, you know, people are treated badly, and um, in a way I was kind of provoking it my way and making that stops, because, you know, then I had something to be angry about, and the reason you're angry or treating me badly, why can't I wear making that stops? And you know, there's this passion that God puts in us, in our calling, and, and if we don't know Jesus and we're not following him, we can come out the wrong way. So I was quite a yeah, rebellious teenager. Um, I started smoking when I was 10. I started drinking when I was 13. And I could go on and on. But it's not all about that. But it just shows us this passion to, to, to push life, to push life. Um, yeah, so first of all, I got saved at 19 as a student. And God really rescued me. And by then I was quite traumatized. I've been through quite a lot of trouble. And God's done a lot of unpicking in my life. And um, I said that because we're going we're to pray later. And he, he, he puts these passions in us for a reason. And he puts these callings in us for a reason. But if we haven't discovered what that's for, then it kind of comes out in the wrong way. And... Um, because <laughs> this is, yeah, this is what he asks. I'm jumping around a little bit. That's the way that. But, um, yeah, so we're going back to the timeline. So I went to Scottish Derby, I met Phil, and then we got married, and we had four gorgeous children. And then the question was asked again what do you do? <laughs> what, what do you do? Um, you know, when I was a mum, coming from work to come and be a mum, people would be actually really didn't need to ask questions. Oh, I was a mum, and I was so excited, I got this beautiful baby, I'm a mum, but oh. Mm-hmm. And immediately I was, instead of, oh, you're really excited, I'm like, oh, I'm not quite sure where you fit in now. And um, people say, oh, you married? Yes. <laughs> I did look back well, to be fair. <laughs> I used to get, I used to go to the top of this is a bizarre. Um, and they used to give me um, invitations for the youth services. <laughs> I'm like, I'm <laughs> um, I had for years they invited me to the youth 
services. Anyway, um, are you mad? Yes. Oh, then what does your husband do? Oh, he's a GP. Oh, now that's interesting. What's it like being married to a doctor? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and immediately, you know, culture puts a value on you according to what you do. Suddenly, I was of no value because I was a full-time mum. And I was not even interested enough to, to have a conversation about me. I had to talk about my husband because he was more interesting than me. And this is what we face every day in society. Um, so when I got called to, you know, to, when we were asked to talk about work, you know, I felt God's really put to me on our identity and how does work affect our identity. And I've been through these different seasons in life. So see, and then I was officially, um, and, and then you come back to England and tell your stories to churches and suddenly you're really important again. And oh my goodness, you did this and you did that. And how did that go? And we spent a lot of time with the at the embassy and got great stories about that. And suddenly we're important people again. Um, and then we came to Bristol, didn't know anyone and had to start again. And we met a house and had no furniture there. Possessions I didn't include swimming, and it was really, really hard. And starting at the bottom again, got a job as an administrator, and that didn't impress people so much either. Then got COVID, I was sick for a very long time in bed. And then you come back to these questions, you know, I was, I was so ill, I couldn't, you know, for months I couldn't even feed my children. I didn't make it downstairs for months. And then I really was useless. <laughs> I wasn't even useful to my family, I couldn't even claim I was a full time mum. And who, who am I then? You know, what, what am I meant to do then? What is my calling? And it's to act justly, um, to love mercy, to walk humbly with my God. What is my calling when I'm sick on my bed? It's to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. What is my calling when I'm a missionary? It's to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with my God. To love him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. What is my calling as an occupation therapist? Or as a better teenager? Hopefully, if I knew Jesus, I would have done things a bit differently. Fee shared um, a couple of weeks ago in church after prayer week, and she shared about how she had an operation on her knee and she'd been wiped out. And she was quite emotional and she, you know, she wanted to let people know what they felt like to suddenly lose everything and be stuck and be waited on and lose your status and lose the things that you love um, and to, to rely on people to, to, to get you upstairs and um, these things happen in life don't they and we go through these different different seasons and it doesn't have to be a bad thing but still things change and you know when someone's in a supermarket and there's a lovely person and you're like <laughs> and you really want to get the thing by yourself that's standing and you're kind of hovering around going, do I wait? Do I just reach in front? And sometimes I wait patient, sometimes I just go, excuse me. You know, and one day I'll be that person. You know, and um, how will I handle that? When I know that I'm irritating people just by my very presence because I'm standing in the way of the eggs. Um, you know, I've got grey hair already and that bothers some people. Why don't I dye my hair? Um, it's embarrassing. Do I care for myself? Um, when, when we're driven by people's opinions of ourselves, when we get our value from who other people say we are, it, it's not it's not very helpful. <laughs> it's not very healthy. Um, but when we get our, our value from who God says we are, 
our whole worlds change, and the way we relate to each other changes. You know, that second half of that second verse, you love your neighbor as yourself. If we're not loving ourselves well, we can't love our neighbor well. If we're mean and condemning to ourselves, then that's going to carry through to how we relate to other people. And if how we think they think about us, you know, you start jumping through all these scenarios in your head, and it gets confusing. But when I was sick in bed with COVID, God kept bringing up scenarios, and like when I'd been offended by what people said, well, they think this, and, and, and God just took me back to why do you think they think that? And what is it about you that thinks you're so unworthy that people would think that of you? And if they did, why does their opinion matter more to you than mine? And why does it matter if I'm a full-time mum? Why, why does society get to say, well, my hair is way that I'm worth less than somebody else? And Romans 8 is an amazing chapter, and it says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And it says that he brought you out of death to life. And why are you going back to death? Why are you going back to fear? And Dave talked this morning about creation, and he's talking about on day seven, everything was good, and it was right, and it was as it should be. And God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, and they were friends, and it was beautiful, and they loved hanging out. And then day eight happened, and they ate the fruit, and everything fell apart, and they hid and, and the world's been living from that place of trauma and hiding. But Jesus came. And when his spirit is in us, it moves us back into day seven. And, and we can live from, from truth and justice and righteousness and from this place of, of love. But the world keeps telling us we're not good enough, so we jump back into day eight. And we go through this yo-yoing, and it's so traumatic for our mental health, for our relationships. When we believe what, what, what people say, the stories that are put in our heads. You know, and I believe what the, the teacher said to me when I wore Mickey Mouse socks. If I believe that as my identity, I'm in trouble today. But these things have a habit of getting into our subconscious and going around our head, and often we still live in these points. But when God sets on earth, everything shifts. So who do we think we are when, when people say, what do you do? How does that make you feel? Does it make you feel that way to this? <laughs> and you meet people, don't you, and they're like, oh, I do this and I do that. And you're like, wow, you're so amazing. They're like, yeah, so amazing. And then you meet people. Um, well, <laughs> sometimes I still feel about that question, what do you do? And sometimes I go, oh, nothing. And I feel myself struggling. I'm like, come on now, stand taller. You don't do nothing. But how do you explain to people? And sometimes you want to say, I'm equal value. But, but we are. And we can get to that point where we really, really believe it. You know, one of the biggest insults in English is to say, who do you think you are? You know, it says such accusation, such aggression, such a small question. But who do we think we are? Is our value set by our work, by what we do, or by what other people think? Or is our value set by Jesus? Who do we think we are? Well, I'm a child of God, and I am saved, healed, and delivered, and I've been set free, and yes, I've made a lot of mistakes, but God loves me anyway, and he wipes that out, and he chose to die for me, and he thinks I'm amazing, and Jesus, or when you read about Jesus, he was goodness, he was love, and he did incredible miracles, and he rose people from the dead, and he set people free from demons, and he calmed the sea, and he got people healed up instantly. 
And Jesus says we'll do the same things that he does, and we'll do even better things, we'll do even greater things. So who are we? We're, we're healers. We're people who can raise the dead. We're people who have the Holy Spirit in our veins. We, we have life in our veins. We have been moved from trauma and death into life and peace and joy and hope. Who do you think you are? I think I'm a child of God. Amen. I think I'm a princess. I'm the daughter of a king. Yeah. And society can say what it wants because it doesn't shift that fact. You know, we stand on every needle bow. And every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they might not be doing that now. And they might be saying, who do you think you are? You full time mum. I've got no job at the moment. Does that count as unemployed? Am I retired because I've got going hair? Who do I think I am? Who do you think I Did my teachers think I am? I'm the youngest child. I was never fast enough, tall enough, clever enough. I didn't know what was going on. I pronounced my words funny. When they were teenagers and I was still a child, I was very embarrassing. (laughs) Do I let that define who I am today? Sometimes. But how do I deal with that? I get back to scripture and I worship. And I find some good friends. And they say, Nancy, Sally's really good at this. Nancy, why did you say that? She's like, that's stupid. (laughs) Phil did this for the first few years of our life. Still does it sometimes. But he's learned when not to. That's nonsense. Why are you thinking that? You know, let's love each other. Let's bless each other. Let's pull each other out of these these silly thoughts that we have because we do and this is human. But who does God say we are? And let's point to him. You know, when we worship, we're looking at him. When we read our scripture, we're seeing his goodness, but he talks about who we are in scripture as well and what he's done for us and why he does it. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of a pray. And we're going to just, um, you know, just do a bit of that shifting out of the, the negative thoughts of who people say we are in, into, into truth. And this comes up again and again. And, and when it comes up, jump into it. Wholeness course. Um, Hope Chapel used to run a course when I was on my bed with COVID. Um, it, it keeps hanging back. You know, the, the ways to find freedom, they are out there. The scripture is full of them. And churches encourage that and teach that as well so let's make the most of these opportunities so I'm gonna I'm gonna pray and this is what I did on my bed with COVID (laughs) Um, and this is how God got me so so free I'm so it was horrible being ill I'm not grateful for being ill but I'm so grateful for what God taught me and every day he would remind me of ways I'd got offended or behaved badly or someone had behaved badly to me and then how I'd got offended from them behaving badly and he would get me to repent and he said you you took offense at them you judged them for that you're bitter towards them now and he would take me back to every incident and we did this hundreds of times a day for months and I was so blessed and so free at the end of it so if you want to close your eyes and just get into an attitude of prayer And we're just going to say, Father God, is there something that I'm believing today that is affecting how I live in a negative way? Something that's been said to me, something that I've believed that isn't how you see me. God, will you reveal, will you bring to mind, Lord, a memory, a thought, something that's been said? for my subconscious or that I'm aware of that is negative and unhelpful 
And God, will you show me um, if there's anything you want me to repent of from that moment, of how I reacted, of how I thought, of what I believed about myself or about others because of that. And God, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry I judged them on hardened my heart to them. I'm sorry I believed I was an idiot or not good enough. I lay that down. And I forgive that person for what they said. And I lay that down and I hand that over to you, Jesus. And I just break the curse of that in my life and I cut it off completely now in Jesus' name. And I say, you are not my identity. And you are not for my identity in the future. And God, will you remove that completely? And Lord, who do you say I am in that place? What would you have said? Do you have a word for me today, Lord, to replace that with your truth? Will you fill that hole that is now gone, Lord, that negative thing that's gone? Will you fill it with your truth? Who do you say I am, Jesus? Is there a scripture, Lord, that can back that up? For when I worry in the future, is there a scripture I can say instead of jumping down that fearful rabbit hole? God, I praise you that you are good. That I'm the child of a king. That no weapon formed against me can stand. I praise you that in Romans 8 it says that Jesus is interceding for me. And the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? I have the king of heaven praying for me and saying, come on. Come on, kid. He's got my back. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And not everyone sees that now and I, I'll have to let that go for now, Lord. Because I know you are good and I know you are true. So I'll keep walking into you, Lord. And every time this pops up, God, who do you think you are? Remind us who we are, God. Teach us to forgive and to let go of the nonsense so that we don't live our life through that filter. Give us strength again and again to lay that down and to pick up your truth. Of who you say we are, Lord. So God bless us now, bless us tonight. We are your children. We are worth dying for. We are worth fighting for. You just love us. You love our company. You want to hang out with us tonight. You're so glad we came. Thank you, Lord. Amen.